Athletic. Right, Reds, Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast from The Athletic. Well, Liverpool are top of the table to start 2024. Who could ask for more? It's brilliant. Who expected that sort of happy new year? To look back at the festive fixtures, preview the January transfer window and answer how Liverpool will cope without Mohamed Salah for a month, we've got James Pearce and Simon Hughes. Happy New Year, chaps. Happy New Year to you, Tony. Happy New Year, Tony. We all could hardly be better, could it? Well, you know, maybe another four or five points. Would have been better, but yeah, what are you going to do? Well, as usual, we'll start with the three words. And your New Year's resolution, say, should be to come prepared. But I bet you haven't. I have. Can I shock you? And I, I, I'm not sure whether it is three words. Somebody might correct me, but I'm going to say XG Converse. I, I, I want to stop this here. Just stop it here because, like, like everyone's like going, "Oh, oh yeah, record XG." Doesn't that just mean we missed a load of chances? I'm sure we'll get into that, Tony. Yeah, it's a sense of irony, I'd say, with my, my with my statement there. Oh, no, I've never seen it, and people like it, smug on social media. Whoa, highest XG ever! And I'm like, put the ball in the net, <laughs> run up the score, James. A statement performance. I'd like to, that statement underlined with more goals, but you know who's going to complain too much? Anyway, let's see what they're saying over on the Walk On Podcast Facebook group. Gary Rivers, top of the table. You need another word in there, Gary. Top of the table. Anthony Darcy, don't go mo. I can care, Anthony, I can care. Rob Mason, by midfield general. I don't know about that, I mean... Midfield seems to be doing all right for me. And Jane Stacey, Happy New Year. And the same to you, Jane. To join our community of listeners on Facebook, just search Walk On Podcast and join the group. Salah for Liverpool. Seals it in style. Goodbye for now, Mohamed Salah. It's been an absolute pleasure. We can't wait to have you back. Well, three points clear at the top of the Premier League table. How did this happen, James? We didn't expect this in August, did we? No, it's exceeded all expectations, hasn't it? And I think um, there's probably two two elements to it. One is the fact that Liverpool have have made much bigger steps, much quicker than I think anyone anticipated. Um, really productive, festive period with you know that kind of demolition of West Ham in the Carabao, kicking it off nicely, and then. What was a what was a you know an absolutely cracking game against Arsenal? Yes, a bit of frustration that Liverpool didn't win it, but it it wasn't the kind of draw that kind of makes you question them. If anything, it was like that was that was of a real real high level, and then and then they've kicked on from that to win at Burnley on Boxing Day, and then the dream start to twenty twenty four to to absolutely take Newcastle apart like that. And I know yes, they should have been more clinical, but. It was just more for me the sight of Liverpool being absolutely relentless that was so so great to watch in terms of being all over Newcastle, swarming on them and forcing mistakes. And, and of course, you know, Liverpool's progress has been coupled with others making some missteps, especially Arsenal losing those, you know, the, the back-to-back games against West Ham and Fulham. So, um, yeah, Man City obviously are, are lurking in the background there, but Liverpool are exactly where where you kind of would, would want them to be. Well, definitely, definitely. And, you know, City say, you know, we know that they don't give you any margin for error. 
you know, we've entered 2024. We can't afford slip-ups. Well, it's been like that in the past in the title races. Do you think it's going to be like that now? It's like every game you've got to win it. Well, I went to Goodison Park um, on the 27th to watch Everton against City. And I spent spent the game in the commentary box. And it was quite nice because I, di- I didn't actually have to file anything to deadline. And I was just watching the game without having sort of any sort of... You know, certainly not as a fan, certainly not in a working capacity. So I was just able to absorb the game a bit more. And it's a great position to, to watch football from dead centre of the pitch, pretty low down. And it's the first time I've, I've probably actually watched Man City, you know, over over a long period of time. And I've got to say, I mean, they, they were absolutely brilliant. And they weren't even out of second gear, really. They're such a, a good team. Everton showed that, they, you know, if you get in the faces and you make it uncomfortable in certain areas of the pitch, you can get some joy against them. But it sort of felt to me that they are just getting their rhythm together now. Um, you know, Liverpool, it, it really did make me realise just how well Liverpool have done over a long period of time to compete with them, you know, because that performance against Everton certainly wasn't an anomaly. Um, but, you know, I, I think, I suppose the frustrating thing for Liverpool, I'm sure we're going to discuss, is, is the... Just as they sort of get in their own momentum, obviously, arguably the, the the most key player departs for Afcon. Meanwhile, City getting some of their key players back in the same period. So, I think January always is, you know, the, one of the most important months of the season. And I think this this month certainly could prove to be defining in where the title goes in May. Well, I mean, like it or not, City are going to come, aren't they, James? Because they are a very, very good side. Don't be too scared of them, kiddies. I know me and Simon made them seem to be the big, bad... Well, hang on, they are the big, bad, bogeymen, aren't they? But, yeah, we can cope with this. We can cope with this, even without Mo. Can I just say, can I just... I know this isn't a Man City podcast, so I'm sorry for listening and having to listen to this, but they all pass the ball like Steven Gerrard. That's what I... I thought the same thing. They pass it with such authority. It's not just... So it's a tippy-tappy football. It's really aggressive. And, um, yeah, they're all much bigger as well, the players. They all look huge. You know, I think you associate Guardiola teams with sort of small, you know, creative players. But, you know, in, in the areas of the pitch where you, you invariably need to be big, they are big as well. So they're a very good side, and I think they are coming up the road. But, you know, Liverpool... Um, the signs are, you know, that they're getting their rhythm together. Whether they can maintain that, you know, without arguably the best player, that's a question that they've got to answer. Yeah, so you're off to uh, the Ivory Coast, aren't you? I mean, what, what are you going to be doing? Are you going to be Mo Salah's bodyguard? Are you going to, like, um, you know, are you going to be the man with the cotton wool? Yeah, I'm going to be there for, for a fort, best part of a fortnight um, from next week. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting because uh, Egypt are based in Abidjan where where I'll be so I'll probably see well, I've applied for accreditation for, for their three games um, so I'll be interested to see how sort of Salah performs for Egypt in comparison to Liverpool really because you know the style of football is very different um, the conditions are going to be very different people keep telling me reminding me of this that you know it's going to be sort of 30 degree heat in the humidity so Salah's gone from very cold environment to a very different West African environment, which is again different to Egypt as well, where the, the temperatures are often much drier, certainly this time of year. So, um, all those things to consider. Uh, he's under, you know, it's the it's the one thing that's missing from his his CV really. So it's a it's a big deal, you know. If Salah can win Afcon, you know, with with Egypt, it'll it'll be one of the high points of his career. There's no doubt about that. 
Uh, I think one of the things that he's sort of fighting against as well is Egypt's record in, in this tournament is really, really good. You know, they're the, the most successful team in, in the tournament's history. And yet, with their most famous player, arguably of all time, they haven't been able to lift it. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say Egypt are favourites going into the tournament. There's, there's a few other teams probably just a bit ahead of them. But if Salah can take his goal-scoring form into the tournament, then they're going to have a, a really, a really great chance, I think. In December, I couldn't believe when some people were saying that Salah wasn't playing that well. It struck me that he was, you know, he's been brilliant this season. I mean, he's joint top scorer in the league. 14 goals with Erlen Haaland, joint for assists with Ollie Watkins, and you know he's contributed to 22 goals out of Liverpool's 43 um, in the league. But the thing is, that's just the obvious stuff, his movements and his pace and the way he distorts defences means that he's actually probably contributed to way more than that. Yes, I, I, I believe so. Yeah, I, th- I think you, you need some good fortune along the way as well because I think you look at the Liverpool squad at the minute, and it is stretched. And it, and that is why it's going to be intriguing to see how Klopp uh, does approach that FA Cup tie at Arsenal on Sunday, because ideally it's the time of year when he would rest a lot of big names. Um, ideally, you'd be playing against a League One or League Two team at Anfield, and you'd be giving young players some fantastic opportunities. And Unfortunately, I think for the sixth time in nine seasons under Klopp, Liverpool have got Premier League opposition and one of the best ones away from home to boot. So that's not ideal. And then you see Zabozlai goes off the other night having assessments on his hamstring, obviously waving goodbye to Salah and Wataro Endo, who's been been great over the past month or so, really. Um, So, yeah, that's a concern, but... You're right, in terms of the general performance levels going up a gear, that bodes well. And of course, we're right to highlight Man City and the fact, well, they're five points behind Liverpool with a game in hand. We know they'll come on strong. I mean, what do they get? 40 points, I think, at the halfway stage, City, which, you know, for considering the standards they've set in recent years is, is way off it. Um, but I also think there's good reason to believe if, yeah, if Liverpool can avoid any other setbacks injury-wise, that, that I think they're only going to get better as well. And um, you just hope that come the end of January, it'll be similar to two years ago when, you know, if you remember rightly then, Liverpool had injuries, you know, Salah, Mane, Keita were all off to AFCON. Um, people were almost braced for the wheels to come off. And I think they won four and drew two in all comps in January and were in great shape when the cavalry returned in early February. So you, you just hope that, that history repeats itself on that front. He's so remarkably robust, it's unbelievable. And I think uh, we'll look back on his career and we'll see that and it'll be it'll be breathtaking. But sorry, I'm gonna, uh, there's a listener question. I'm going to send this one towards you because I think it'll suit you somehow. It says, how has Mo Salah managed to evolve from Sonic the Hedgehog? Yes, you heard it, Sonic the Hedgehog to a walking set of golf clubs. I, I imagine that, you know, that a sense of... Well, no, no, let me finish off. I imagine that a sense of man, like, um, you know, the, 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 the sort of where the, you know, the goes from a, a, um, walking on all fours to, you know, human now. And I imagine that sort of graphic going from Sonic to a set of golf clubs. But we'll continue. Sonic is a blistering quick drop of the shoulder, able to blast people type of character. And golf clubs... They're available to the balls exactly where you want to, the minute that they're there. Anyway, if you understand it any better than me, answer it. 
Yeah, yeah, his um, his evolution as a player over the course of his Liverpool career has been been remarkable, really. From from that you know that first record breaking season when you know he scored goals for fun, and it was all about pace and and, and bursting past defenders. I think he's added so many strings to his bow, and you're right, it's not it's not not just the goals and the the creativity, which I think the creative side of Salah's game goes under the radar. A lot of the time as well. I mean, the the quality of the assist the, the other night for for Cody Gagpo was was crazy. And Klopp gave an interview actually the day before talking about how Salah's just unsatiable, you know, insatiable hunger to improve was you know one of the things that he's added to his game was that kind of crossing with the outside of his boot with almost pinpoint accuracy um, to pick players out. And that was that was obviously the the, the assist for for Gagpo and just. It's just everything about his game, isn't it? As you said, you know, it's his movement, it's his link-up play, the way he occupies defenders and creates space for others. He, he is, you know, I wrote the other night, it's almost like you're trying to replace the irreplaceable for the next five, potentially six weeks. Um, and, yeah, very, very difficult. I think we'll, we'll probably see Harvey Elliott get some, some game time wide on the right. Jota can play there. You know, maybe even young Cade Gordon might get some some opportunities off the bench but um but yeah it's it's a it's a real void because and it's also the fact that that Salah is always fit it's you know it's that that's another element of him which I think is underappreciated the fact that you know when we talk about how can Liverpool cope without Salah well we talk about it so much because they've hardly had to do it since the summer of 2017 when he came in you know six and a half seasons at Liverpool He's only not been involved in 10 Premier League games and three of those were when he was an unused sub because he was rested. Two of those were due to AFCON two years ago. So for someone who gets treated by defenders in the way he is, to have missed five due to minor injuries in six and a half seasons is, you know, it, it's testament to the way he leads his life and his, you know, unbelievable durability. Well, that was one of his problems at Chelsea, wasn't it? Mourinho didn't think yeah. he was physically robust enough. Yeah, yeah, I do understand it, yeah. He, I mean, when I think back to Salah at the very beginning of his Liverpool career, I always think of that, in fact, is it the beginning? The goal, the goal against Arsenal when he sped away, you know, and legged it like half the length of the pitch and just nobody could keep up with him. He doesn't do that anymore. He can, I don't think he can do that anymore. I think the bottom line is that it's his intelligence, it's his appreciation of his abilities at certain points. And his willingness to change as well. Some players, you know, find it hard to make that transition. But he has been, he's very smart, really, I, th- I think. Um, you know, the times when he, you know, he sort of reminded me the other night of, of, of Zola, some of his passing. I know he's not sort of got the tricks of Zola, but just like the little, the bits of craft that he has in his game where he can pick out a teammate. I mean, it is bizarre that he's gone from, the side of his game that he was probably criticised the most for, he's actually arguably made the biggest improvements and it is possibly the most outstanding feature of his game now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely worthy of a long-form piece at some point about how he's actually managed to do this for himself. I mean, we've said this before on the podcast, but I think he's always been, a, been able to see into the future in the sense that... When he was a player in Egypt, he knew that to get into Europe and become a successful player in Europe, 
he needed to be physically capable of competing in European leagues and he was in the gym all the time you know when other Egyptian players weren't bothering to do that he that's what he was doing and they were all like what's this guy about I think I think he, with with time he's learned how to use his body as well you know he's he's as I say it comes down to his intelligence I think and his understanding of of the game of football really um so he he has first of all made his body, you know, a, a temple. You know, when he takes his shirt off, you know, he, he's he's pretty, you know, impressive, I must say. And then when um as as the years have passed, he's been able to adapt his game as well. So I mean, I know um when Rami Abbas's agent did um he did a, a thing with Harvard, didn't he, last year where it was it was sort of detailing the, the, the contract negotiations. One of the points that he made to the club was that he feels that Salah can play until he's 40, basically, because he's not relying on his, his pace anymore. I mean, there's just no evidence that, you know, um, certainly the evidence is at the moment that he, he can play for an awfully long time in this Liverpool team because he is constantly offering, you know, a threat, whether it is assisting other players or, you know, himself as finishing, as well as finishing. As, as la- I know he missed a penalty the other night, but his finishing largely is, is very good. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think he'd have scored the number of goals that he scored if his finishing wasn't up to scratch. I think people, I think it's because he he's maybe not a clean, the cleanest striker of the ball. Sometimes the people have adopted the attitude that, you know, he, he sometimes needs a few more chances to score, but I think he has become more clinical with, you know, as the years have passed. And it's been incredible to watch, really, because I can't think of too many players where who've been able to do that. You think about like somebody like Fernando Torres, his body wasn't able to deal with that change and he didn't adapt his game as he, as he got older. And it is his sort of light shone brightest for a short period of time, whereas Salah's been doing it since, what, 20, 2017 in a Liverpool shirt? And he seems to be getting better by the week. Anyway, to get in touch, send us a surreal question. The more surreal, the better. Email walk-on at theathletic.com. All right, Reds, happy new year. It's Andy here with a bit of a look ahead to what I hope the rest of this season and 2024 in general may look like. I think with the position Liverpool are in, there's a a fair chance they'll be in the thick of finals and final days, hopefully, in terms of uh, going for the league and, and, you know, at least two cups with the FA Cup to come against Arsenal in what is a a fairly tricky third round draw. But, you know, Liverpool have put themselves in a really in a position that I don't think anyone thought they were going to put themselves in and look like they're beginning to click into gear. You know, that, that Newcastle performance was just was sensational. And when you think about it, when you think back on the game and when you watch it, the highlights, it was just just phenomenal. I think there's a there's a good chance that they can they can at least be right in the in the title picture come the end of the season. They they've got such a good squad and if they can avoid injuries and get through this this little period without Mo Salah as well, depending on how how long he's gone, then they're gonna be gonna be in great shape and it's the same for for the Europa League. There's a decent chance the entirety of Liverpool will be uh, of the red supporting side of it that will all be in Dublin <laughs> if if we manage to get there for the Europa League final. I think coming back to the injuries, I think that's the only thing that can really set Liverpool back massively because they do have the ability to rotate if, if people are in and out of form. 
But you do look at the transfer window and think, is there, is there maybe one move that Liverpool can possibly do? Liverpool don't generally do much in January, but they have shown a, a willingness to do the right business if the business is available. And obviously, I think the, the, the area is, is centre-back, given John Matip's injury and you know the inexperience of Quanter, as, as good as he has been. You still have to... When the, when the uh, the big pressure games come up, is he, you know, is is he got enough experience to come through those games? And, and with Joe Gomez, the left back situation with the injuries there, Canate, Gomez and Canate's injuries are, are well known. You do think is is there a centre back there that they can go and get? But they're in a position of strength, and you would like to think if if they have the chance, then they'll do they'll do what's right and, and they will strengthen. But if not, I'm sure we'll we'll see those you know areas of the squad that need addressing addressing the summer and. And Liverpool 2.0 will be in, in season two, and uh, you know that that looks even more exciting. And hopefully, it'll be off the back of winning at least one piece of silverware. Well, that was Andy Jones there, enjoying the fact that Liverpool are top at the start of 2024. The difference a year makes seems. Yeah, it's like night and day, isn't it, compared to to where Liverpool were at in the early part of. 2023, you think back to those, you know, those horrific defeats at, at Brentford and Brighton, and you know, I was I was writing a column yesterday on kind of like the, the dilemma facing Klopp ahead of the Arsenal FA Cup tie, and um, yeah, yeah, I think when I look back, it was I think it was one win out of six in all comps in January last year, um, and even that was that kind of scrappy win in the FA Cup replay at Wolves, and then they promptly got knocked out at Brighton. The, the following week so um yeah the whole club is in a very very different place isn't it i think you know you think back to then and it was it felt a little bit rudderless in terms of you know the 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 club was obviously up, up for up for sale at the time well, well well this podcast was like a therapy session <laughs> every week wasn't it? it was it was and i think you know i think klopp himself you know you if you want to if you want to kind of you know, look at look look at images of him from last January. I remember at Brighton, especially him putting his hands together and almost like begging for forgiveness in front of the away end at Brighton, because it was like you know a very public sorry in terms of you know that it has come to this. You know, I I, I you know I, you've come all this way to watch that, um, but you know he was very defiant at the time that he would fix it, um, and to his immense credit. You know he he has done em- emphatically. Um, you know you contrast that body language with the throwing the fist pumps in front of the the cop the other night and talking about how it was a it was such a kind of um, you know educational video for school kids. He talked about Liverpool's counter pressing and pressing on the night and how they should show that to to kids far and wide and. Um, yeah, Liverpool are just a completely different beast now, aren't they? In terms of rebuilding, rebuilding that midfield has been has been huge, but also just a resurgence through all all departments. Um, and it, it's exciting. I think anyone who was at Anfield on New Year's Day night would have come away thinking, yeah, there's something special going on here. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, the the, the two sides of it. I mean. Part of it, you know, it's just very, very exciting. But also, it's a little bit scary because you feel like this team hasn't quite gelled. They're not, you know, they're, they're nowhere near where they could be on the potential. And you think, oh, you know, could they fall off a cliff? You know, it's a, and then you start thinking, you know, the last four of a domestic cup, 
favourites for the Europa League, top of the table. Oh, there's going to be loads of trophies. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm all in the, I'm all in the dither. <laughs> oh, Tony, it's going to be okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I sort of felt the same way about the game the other night. And being honest, I mean, I, yeah, obviously, some of the. <laughs> So the performance was outstanding in an attacking sense, one hundred percent. You can't deny that. You know the the number of chances he created obviously reflected in the data. I mean, it's quite funny how it just make me laugh how some people sort of reach for their data in the good times and try and dismiss it sometimes in the bad times a little bit. But um, you know, I, I felt that you could look at the game in two ways. I mean, you can look at the with your eyes and say, well, this was one of the great attacking Liverpool performances at Anfield in recent years. And then you can look at the data and say, well, that supports that argument. But then you could also say, well, Liverpool have created a lot of chances and have had to work very hard to, to win 4-2 against a team that's way out of form. And they've conceded two goals and just about won. There's two ways of looking at it, I suppose. I tend to sort of, you can accept both arguments to some, to some extent. Because I do think that at the moment, Liverpool are still sort of re-establishing themselves again. And I think there is distance to travel with, with some of the players. I think one player that we haven't really mentioned, well, we haven't mentioned in this podcast, I just think since Curtis Jones has come back into the team, they've looked more organised in midfield in terms of the press has been a lot better. I think Klopp refer- referenced that after the game. Yeah, um, it's a bit. he's been a bit wine Alzheimer's, hasn't he? You know, it's yeah, he has, gone he has, under he has, the radar a bit, you know, but brilliance. He has, and I'm really pleased for him, to be honest, because... I, I've said many times that I always feel that there's more from him that in terms of the creative side of the game. But maybe, you know, on the flip side of that, you know, the, the sort of the discipline, which is sort of come at the expense of his creation, is now, you're now seeing the, the, the fruits of that, that, that effort to sort of become a much more disciplined player. And since he's, he, since he's come back into the team, I just feel that Liverpool have pressed better and being a structurally better football team. So... I think he he I would I mean every, obviously I'm I'm from Liverpool I want to see local players getting the team and do well and I I, I can't deny that um, but I I also think that he has he has been really really good in in the, in the last uh, couple of games so that that's been good for Liverpool I still think that there's work to be done as I said they, they did concede twice I thought it was. Two reasonably good goals, straightforward goals from a Newcastle perspective. And, and you know, and to be honest, every time Newcastle went forward, they looked as if they might score. That was the thing they get. It was a strange game to sort of reflect upon, I think, because they, despite Liverpool's dominance, it wasn't secure until the late stages. Um, so that's why there's all this sort of conflict, really, at the moment. I think you're thinking, wow, well, he can do this. I think, I think if you've watched football enough, you'll arrive at the conclusion probably that, you know, that if Liverpool continue to play like that, as hard as it will be to do that, you know, that they are by and large going to find a game when they start scoring goals. And soon enough, somebody like Nunes, who has missed a half full of chances, will get a taste for it. And then, you know, where will that leave opponents? So um, there's still questions to be answered, I think. But I, I just think, you know, we've discussed it many times. I think that this season, you know, you've also got to remember what you're up against. As I said, Newcastle bang out of form, really, lost to Forest, lost to Luton, got hammered at Spurs. They even lost at Everton. So, you know, I, I think there is that context around it. But equally, there's the context that, that Liverpool aren't up against an outstanding... City is still finding themselves a bit. They've given them a whiff of a chance by the number of points that they've dropped. As James says, you know, that the at this stage of the season, they're way behind where they usually are. So that gives Liverpool the hope that they can do it. I just think that 
my personal view is I think that they really need to find a solution to Salah's absence quite quickly because I, I suspect Egypt will run the course in, in AFCON and he possibly will miss six, seven, eight games uh, of Liverpool season. I personally think that they need to... I, I can understand the temptation to put Harvey Elliott in because I think he's a more of a like-for-like player because he'll cut inside. And I think he's probably worthy of a, of a chance given the impact that he's had on games. But I think that they've got to get goals onto the pitch, a guarantee goals. And the only player who does that really is Diogo Jota. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that in a second. But just before that, I'd like to say, the and the winner for the longest answer on a podcast for 2024 <laughs> is Simon Hughes. Anyway. How long was it? <laughs> oh, I don't know, like 18 minutes? Oh, Unstoppable, it, like, brilliant stuff. Yeah, you exactly. want me to get off now? Yeah, it's like, it's like you know... It's like the Godfather trilogy. <laughs> uh, anyway, and of course, Sai is the Godfather. Um, we, we, um, but no, you, you make you made a series of good points, which is why I didn't cut you off brutally. Um, uh, but I, I think the last point, James, we do need to pick up off on, and you know, filling the Salah, you know, hole is really important. But what did? What I did like about the Newcastle game is when Klopp made the substitutions that, you know, the front players presented a completely different set of problems for the defenders. And you could see how, you know, how the impact of that on them and how it messed with the minds and suddenly the game was secured. Yeah, that is the beauty of, of the depth that he's got in attack, that he does have different types capable of asking different questions of teams. And, and yeah, for a, for a Newcastle team that are struggling and had been absolutely hounded and swarmed all over for, what, 60, 65 minutes and were fortunate to still be in contention, you know, it's, it's in your worst nightmares then seeing a resurgent Diogo Jota and, and Cody Gagpo coming off the bench in, in the way they did. Um, and then that was, was crucial in terms of taking taking the game away from them. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be intriguing to see what he does. I mean, it was, you know, it, in fact, it's actually the top end of the pitch where he's got the, the most options at the moment. Um, you know, I, th- I think the other, the other big thing for me coming away from the Newcastle game was the sight of Luis Diaz looking much more like his usual self because I think... I, th- I think you know for all the focus on on Nunes and and his twelve game barren run before before Burnley, uh, you know I, I've I've come away from a lot of games this season thinking need to see more from Diaz when you when you think of how good he was in the first when, well that first half a season after he joined from Porto and then of course last season was a you know really difficult for him and for Liverpool and he had you know that knee injury that. You know, he came back and then he was, you know, just about to play again and then broke down again in training when they were in Dubai. Um, but And he's had, you know, of course, he's had a lot to contend with, with the, the kidnapping of his parents earlier on this season. But he hasn't, he hasn't delivered to anywhere near the level he's capable of. Um, so then, yeah, to see him sparkling like that, cutting in off the left, thought he was brilliant in the build-up to the opening goal. Well, on, on that build-up, when... when, when... When he cut in, I'm like, oh, here we go. He's going to shoot from a preposterous position through a forest of players, you know, like he sometimes does. And then he plays a brilliant ball. And I'm like, okay, I'm wrong. I, I, I just thought that was, that was a really brilliant sign. 
Yeah, yeah. I think his decision making on the night seemed a lot better, didn't it? He he was getting into he seemed to be getting into a lot more dangerous areas as well. You know, of course, he wins the the first penalty that wasn't that wasn't stuck away, um, and just really positive and and direct with his with his running all night. So you know that does bode well because you know if you if you're gonna be able to rely on him on the left, and of course it gives you the option of of Jota on the right and then you could potentially play Harvey Elliott in midfield as opposed to Harvey on the right wing where Harvey was brilliant there I thought in the Carabao Cup demolition of West Ham um, and then you've got you know Gagpo and Nunes um, potential options through the middle so um, yeah it's it, it's it's actually for me probably at the minute it's probably the other departments where you think Liverpool are probably one injury away from being in in, in trouble when you think, you know, they're so reliant, I think, on keeping Canate. Keeping Canate fit is going to be key. That's why I'd probably be giving him a rest at the Emirates on Sunday and playing Kwanzaa. Um, and then in midfield, obviously, we're waiting to find out the extent of Zabozlai's issue, you know, complained of discomfort in his hamstring. Um, and losing him for any period of time would be a real a real blow off the back of, of losing Endo. Um and and then you've you know timely of course Alexis McAllister coming back and you know the the caliber of the pass he played through to Jota for the the second penalty was just absolutely incredible so he will obviously assume that kind of holding midfield role whilst whilst Endo is away um, but yeah Liverpool are stretched in that area especially with Thiago and Basetic still missing yeah yeah just say just before we leave this um I, I just want to talk about that second penalty and i don't know about you but like never in the history of time when a forward goes past a goalkeeper knocks the ball past him and the goalkeeper makes contact with his arm with the forward's leg never ever ever not once has it not been a penalty <laughs> it's a penalty if the referee doesn't give a penalty it's because he hasn't seen yeah. it it's a penalty. What's gone on with the world where people are rationalising? Oh, they dived. He, no, he didn't dive. Can't you see with your own eyes? As this... Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'm having a breakdown here. Explain it all to me. <laughs> hey, Tony, that's one of the longest intros you've ever gave, given to a question there. Um, hey, 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 listen, I'm the intro, man. I can't. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, I just think VAR has distorted the conversation really, and, and made people lose sense of actually what's going on right in front of them. I mean, I, I listened, I listened back on the the commentary during the game, um, and Alan Shearer. I mean, quite interesting to hear him say this, you know, as as a forward. But I remember a few years ago when uh, Dominic Calvert Lewin won a penalty, I think, at Anfield under under a. I would say a clumsy Dejan Lovren-esque challenge, you know, sort of like a bus with no brakes, sort of forgot to stop. And he, in Shearer's words, gave gave the referee a decision to make. Now, he thought that that was a penalty. And yet this one, for some reason, against Newcastle, the club where he is an icon, was maybe not a penalty. So... I just think the thing around technology, maybe I'm giving him too much leeway here, but I do think that the, the technological element of it is is now sort of making people watch things back in slow motion and lessen the impact of actually what happens on a pitch. 
You know, when 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 Diogo Jota's running through a pace, he will only need the slightest little knock to 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 send him over. And that is what happens, and that is why it was a penalty. When you watch it back in slow motion, you think, oh, well, why would he fall over because it's happening so slowly? I think it as I say, it distorts the conversation. If I had one thing I would remove slow motion replays from football altogether because football is not played in slow motion. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic. Anyway, James, you knew this was coming. It looms, really, from the 31st of August all the way to the 1st of January. It's the transfer window. <laughs> it's the time of year when you're abused on social media, where you're blamed for the lack of signs. Is there a time of year when I'm not abused on social media? No, no, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, and it is. It's. It's. I was going to say it's the sadsters' Christmas, but you know, I mean, we've just had Christmas. <laughs> we have too many Christmases. <laughs> but you, you, you know what? Who are they going to buy? Who tell us now? We're going to buy. Otherwise, I'm going to go straight to Twitter and I'm going to call you names. <laughs> oh dear, yes, the joy of the transfer window being open again. Um, well, you know, at the at the moment. Everything is very quiet on that front. It's it's certainly a very different situation to to last year. I just warn Come you, on, James, that James is James not what we want to hear. We do not want to hear that. <laughs> Tell us what we want to hear. What what I will say is, I think from recent transfer windows in January that related to Liverpool, we know that um, if a suitable opportunity arises, that they will move quickly and decisively to get that deal done if they think they can get the right player at the right price. Um, you know, I think back to two years ago and probably sat here, you know, around the same time saying, I think it's going to be quiet. And then, of course, Porto desperately needed money. Liverpool had intended to sign Luis Diaz the following summer. Tottenham were close to agreeing a deal. Liverpool had to either say, right, it's now or never. And mobilised and very quickly got Luis Diaz on on board um so yeah it's things can change can't they I, I, like I said before I think it, it's almost like the defensive issue at the minute and you know from the people I've spoken to um they've said well you know I think I think Liverpool were, were linked with, with Robinson the, the fullback at Fulham and you know when you check that out you, you're told well why on earth would we sign another left back when 
you know, hopefully Robertson will be back by the end of January. You can't just stockpile senior left backs and you've got Costa Simicus to, to return probably, you know, I think probably back end of February, maybe March time. So, um, so, you know, and then obviously getting Robertson back will free up Joe Gomez to play centrally and ease the burden on Canate and, and um, Kwanzaa and Van Dijk. But, but of course, you know, one injury to another centre-back now. And I think the debate about whether Liverpool can wait into the summer to strengthen at centre-half almost comes becomes redundant because I think it suddenly then becomes, well, they can't afford not to address it now. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I think, you know, it's it's very fluid in terms of, you know, clearly if they thought there was someone out there of the right quality that, you know, a deal could be done at a decent price defensively, then, you know, I think they would have already had that lined up. We, it would, it would be out there already. That's, but Klopp, I asked Klopp about it probably two, three weeks before Christmas. And, um, he was a bit spiky and, and said, you know, you know, do you really think there's, you know, clubs are queuing up to, to, to give Liverpool gifts around Christmas time. And it's got to be someone who's, who's good enough to come in and, and adapt quickly and, and, and be able to contribute to a challenge for trophies. So that's the that's the that's the mission for Liverpool, trying to trying to find the the right person who's available now. All right, James, we're going easy on you today. It's only the third of January, but I'm telling you, by the twenty third, you better have better answers. You have better have better answers. You're out there anyway. Sorry, moving on to you, Raphael Reiter. That's the inevitable on Facebook. Mbappe to LFC now. <laughs> All right, let's not grow. Um, no. <laughs> Here's my short answer for you, so it's not going to happen. Sunday, still for the FA Cup campaign. Say, Arsenal, it's a difficult one, isn't it, you know, to deal with because you, know, you want to beat Arsenal, but uh, you like to really want to put your first teamers in with a month like this. You know, when we, you know, James alluded to it earlier, Klopp's got difficult decisions. What are your thoughts well, on the I said, I said last month, I mean, I, I think the League Cup is the one that they've got to go for, obviously, because they're closer to the final and, you know, it's earlier on in the season and winning a, a, a competition in February and March always gives, or invariably gives a team that's competing on lots of fronts a bit of confidence going into the, the back end of the season. So if it's a choice between Arsenal or the Fulham game, I'd, I'd sooner take the Fulham game or uh, two legs more seriously than Arsenal. That being said, you know Liverpool, um, Liverpool's record against the, the the top teams in the in the Premier League this season hasn't been great. They could probably do with a, a win against one of those teams just to give them a little bit of confidence. I, I would say um, and give them an edge in those games. And you know, obviously Arsenal have lost the last two games, haven't they? So I know people will say, "Well, you'll be expecting a response," but I think it's a good time to be playing them actually. Because they they they'll the pressure will increase on on Arsenal. I think you know they probably most pressure really on Arsenal this season more than Liverpool, more than Man City, mainly because they ran them City close last season, mainly because they since closest they ran them close enough. You know they, they, they had to go not not close not close by Liverpool standards, but close close enough by their by their standards based on what they achieved previously, and yeah. then they've gone and improved in theory, with the players that they've signed. So you'd expect them to be doing better and trying to win. They still haven't won a trophy, basically. So until they, haven't won a tr- until they win a trophy, that will be a conversation for Arsenal fans, I, I suspect. 
Um, on a personal level, if you're asking me, well, there's two answers, and there's, there's Klopp. What would Klopp do? I suspect Klopp would forsake the FA Cup this year. Personally, you know, I like the FA Cup. And, you know, the more finals Liverpool are in in May, the better. So and he's always he's going to put a team out that's going to be competitive, I'm sure. But I think there'll be players like, I think I agree with James, I can't see Canate playing. Um, I think Kwanzaa will play instead of him. You know, there's the changes that are going to be necessary anyway. Um, I think if... if 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 there are like sort of players who are younger who are given opportunities, it's more likely to be in a, attacking areas. Mm. James, yeah. So I mean, how do you see the team setting up? Well, I think there'll be an awful lot of conversations in the coming days between Klopp and Pep Linders and the medical department. I think because I, I, with with the way that it is precarious at the minute in terms of depth, I think they'll be they'll be desperate to avoid overburdening. Anyone, and I think that's. I I, I think he he has to make changes. I I agree with Simon that when you're that close to a Wembley final in the Carabao, that has to take priority. Three days later, against Fulham, that first leg at Anfield, you know, I I, I don't think you can push certain players through both of those games. You look at someone like Joe Gomez, who has played the best part of 600 minutes combined. Uh, since the start of December, I think he's been one of the unsung heroes, really, in terms of you know it's almost almost James Milner esque versatility in terms of his value to Klopp, being able to play right back, left back, centre back. Um, you know, to, we, Liverpool just haven't. You know, it, it's not even been a topic of conversation, has it? You know, the fact that Liverpool don't have a recognised senior left back because because Gomez has done well. Um, so well there in in recent weeks, but yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Liverpool deciding to bring Owen Beck back from his loan at Dundee, where he did really well, and they were gutted to lose him. And it just wouldn't surprise me at all if Owen Beck got got an opportunity at the Emirates. That makes sense to me. Give give Gomez a a breather, as I said. You know, Kwanzaa, nothing has phased him so far. You know, is, is that really a gamble? I think he's probably done done that well that you'd say that you'd have faith in him um Trent is a tricky one because I think he's in such a a rich vein of form but again sometimes players have to be protected a bit you've got Connor Bradley could potentially play there um midfield I think you know you'd say Alexis McAllister probably needs minutes having you know missed six games only with that knee wound um only got 15 minutes the other night uh, Gravenberg probably needs a game. Only what twenty five minutes the other night, and and then you know probably whether it's Harvey Elliott or Curtis Jones depends on what he decides to do up top. And of course Jota and Gagpo only came off the bench, so you'd have thought they'd be in contention to start. So it's not we're not talking about fielding a a team of kids and effectively kind of throwing the tie away. I just I just think Klopp has to look at the bigger picture because. You look at priorities, and the Carabao Cup, I think, has to be prioritised. The semi-final on on the following Wednesday. You know, at the moment, the FA Cup is Liverpool's fourth best bet of silverware this season. You can't do anything to to jeopardise that Premier League title race by trying to push players too far. Because you know, Klopp talked the other night about how he was, you know, he was kicking himself because he said that you know we took off Sir Bosley a couple of minutes too late because he started to to feel his hamstring. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of respite on the horizon, isn't there? There's that 11-day gap between the first leg against Fulham and then the, the Premier League trip to Bournemouth. 
on January the 21st. And I know Klopp is intending to give the players a, a decent sized break so they can get away for a bit during that period. So a little bit of rest and recuperation coming up. But um, I, I still just don't think he can just go kind of full throttle against Arsenal because I think I think you'd fear what the implications of that might be. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, that's it for walk on this week, and thanks to James and Sai. Sai, we'll probably only have voice notes from you from um, Africa in the coming weeks, but we're going to hold you responsible for anything that happens to Salah. I'm oh, telling that's... you, if anything happens to Salah, don't come back. <laughs> You've heard that here. Don't come back. We'll be looking for you. Anyway, so thanks for joining us today. And, and thanks to you, too, for joining us. We'll be back next Tuesday before the Carabao Cup semi-final first leg with Fulham. And we'll catch you then. The Athletic. <laughs>